19 through 25. Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. Did that which is good that bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I, what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man am I who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And I'm going to read into 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Well, here we are. It's another Easter Sunday, right? It's been a year. Many of us are in used clothes, much like the spring all around us, the flowers are blooming. We have put ourselves a new garment. There's new life in the air. There's new growth in the air. Many of us are anticipating ham maybe this afternoon, other good eats. Pastor, don't go too long. We're hungry. Meals will be eaten. Eggs will be found. Candy will be consumed. The great bunny chocolate cross conundrum will continue. That was somewhat of a joke. You're allowed to laugh. Easter, much like Christmas, is looked forward to by many of us. We get to sing those Easter hymns we love to sing. We get to hear the Easter story that we love to hear. But behind all of this is a problem. Easter and all its trappings are nice. We have done many things in this church over the last several days. We had a wonderful service Friday night. We sprung off that service in the 24-hour day of prayer, and it was good and refreshing. I know many of you have talked about it. But Easter reminds us of something that is wrong. We had a problem, or we may ha still have a problem. We were, or we are, still under the power of sin and death. Easter points us to the answer for that problem. It points us to one who would come and reconcile that problem we had, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who took on flesh, who would fulfill all that the law required 
of us. And that brings us to our text today. And you may be scratching your head. Well, Pastor, you just talked about the Easter story and how we love to hear it. That didn't sound much like the Easter story that we're used to hearing on Easter Sunday. But I think the reality is this, that when Paul comes to this text, he has Easter in mind. Paul has the cross in mind. Paul is saying we all have a problem. And that problem is sin. This sin that is exposed by the law. The law has confronted us with our inability. It reminds us that we cannot live up to it. We cannot do everything that is required of us. And so we need a savior. It reminds us to be free from death. We must have one who has died and has risen from the dead. So as we come to our text this morning, as we look at this, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the outward reality, the inward conflict, and the hope for the hopeless. The outward reality, the inward conflict, and the hope for the hopeless. Paul for us, and if you haven't been here over the last several weeks, we've been talking a lot about the law. Particularly the Old Testament law and what place does it have. And Paul has made several things clear. The law is good. Sin through the law is made manifest. Sin show, or the law shows us what sin is. Sin, working through the law, has produced death in all people. And the question is this. How is that which is good the source of death? How can that which be good also be the source of death. And we have to understand something. Paul says here, did that which is good then bring death to me? He says, by no means. It was sin. Sin working through the law is what brought death to us. The death is not the fault of the law. It is the responsibility of sin. And so Paul, in a sense here, is, is, is absolving the law from all guilt. The law is merely an instrument used by sin. The law, in a way, causes sin to become exceedingly sinful. Remember we talked about last week, I didn't know that I coveted until I read, Thou shalt not covet. It's sin, but it defines it. It it gives it strict definition. And so Paul's actions in coveting became rebellious in nature. Conscious rebellion. It's the deliberate violation of God's will. Paul is acknowledging a problem that he has, or he had. It was a sin problem. Paul says the law is good, it's spiritual, but I am fleshly. The law is spiritual because it has divine origins, it comes from God. And so therefore it is good, but we as humans are frail. And we, and Paul acknowledges his own frailty, his own humanity. He says, You've been, you are completely under the power of sin. You are in the flesh. I want you to notice here, what state is Paul talking about? Paul is not talking about the Christian here, is he? He's talking about the unbeliever, those who are in the flesh. Those who are under the power of sin. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. 
Christians are in a different state. Christians are no longer under the power of sin. We saw this. They are free from sin. And I so I believe as we're coming to this text, what Paul is doing is he's going back and remembering before he came to Christ, this was my estate. I was completely sold to the power of sin. Even though I had this relationship with the law, even though, as he says in other places, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, I knew my law. He still was under the power of sin. In essence, he says to us this, even though I tried to do good, even though I tried to work out what I thought to be good, I was still sinful. Paul says all those who are apart from Christ are under this power. They are under sin. And the law comes and reveals to you your inability. The law at his heart is the word of God given to the people. John tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was what? The word was God. I'm making an argument here that the law is Christ. In a sense. In a real sense. He is the word. He is the moral standard. The, that which is just and right. And the word has come into the world to be a what? A light. He has come to be a light to this world. And light has this weird dual function. There is no such thing as darkness. Do you know this? Like true darkness. What is darkness? It's the absence of light. It's the removal of light. And Christ, as the word, comes to be a light in this world. So light comes and reveals itself, but it also exposes the darkness this is what Christ has done for us. He's come in the darkness of our souls and he has brought to us life. But Paul begins to echo here something that we can feel and we identify with, don't we? He says there's still this inward conflict going on. And if you were reading along with me, and I think even at a time I may have fumbled a few words, he, he does this in a very convoluted way, right? I don't do what I want to do and I do do what I don't want to do. And there's a lot of do's and don'ts and can be confusing but what is Paul saying here he's saying look I'm failing or I, I was failing there was a conflict in me that was leading to despair and destruction he says this was my experience under the law he I knew the law real real well I knew that it was God's will and instruction for my life and when I broke it in any part, I broke it as a whole. Paul feels that, or felt that nagging at him. I want to do the law. I want to obey the law, but I cannot obey the law. We, we even as Christians can experience this, don't we? That nagging failure. I want to do good. I want to do what is right. But I often don't. Before Paul was confronted with the gospel, he had this conflict of not understanding his own actions. I don't do what I want to do. I do the very things I hate. And he's acknowledging something, something he stated at the very beginning of Romans. 
Every last person, be they Christian or not Christian, be they God's child or not God's child, understands morality. Through common grace, through being image bearers of God, we all understand right from wrong, right? We know it is wrong to kill somebody. It's wrong. We don't do that. We know it's wrong to steal. And yet over and over again, Paul says, I'm failing. I don't do what is good. Many will strive to some sort of morality. Even the laws of our land are based on some sort of morality. Don't go to someone's house and steal their stuff. That's not right. Okay, that, that's okay. We're okay with that. Don't go to work and then not work because your boss is paying you and that's stealing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Facebook's okay though, right? At work? No? Oh, I'm meddling a little, I guess. <laughs> Sin is something that resides in the unbeliever, dwelling within us, ruling over the unbeliever as a master rules over a slave. And this is all because of Adam's first sin. Sin resides in all people outside of Christ. None of us can resist its power. Paul says, good did not dwell in me. Sin dwelt in my flesh, guiding my actions. He, I believe Paul is saying here that the unbeliever may have a, a genuine striving to do what is right, but they cannot do that which is right as defined by God. Sin will simply not allow it. He says, my actions were not just not good, which that's a positive way of saying something, right? Even though I'm using a negative. He's not, he doesn't say it's just not good. He says, my actions were evil. Well, that's a word we don't like too much. To say my actions are evil? What? That's not evil. He said, my actions were evil. Evil is close at hand. And I think we can all feel this conflict Paul is talking about. We know the things we should be doing, and we don't do them. You have kids? Do you see this on a daily basis with your kids? They know. I love my kids. I tell them the same thing 100,000 times, right? Don't do that. 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 Oh, I forgot. Okay, but parents, before you get too full of yourself... We know what's right before God, don't we? And God says, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And what do we say? Oh, I forgot. We don't do what's right. And sin lives in those who are apart from Christ. People know that cheating on their taxes and cheating on spouses and all these things are wrong, but they continue to do them. But we are not left without hope. All those who are slaves to sin have hope for all men. There is hope for the hopeless. Yes, there's a law working against us. There is a law in our flesh, the law of sin, that keeps us from doing what God requires of us. This outer law opposes everything that is good and is right, it is waging war against the mind. We might confess morality to be good, the Mosaic law to be good, but it is this law in the flesh that keeps us from doing it.
Paul looks back and he remembers what it was like. He knows those many people around him who are seeking to do the same thing, to follow after morality, of after being good. And, he, and it forces him to cry out, who will deliver us? Who will deliver us from our trespasses? Or excuse me. Who will deliver us from this body of death? Paul here cries out, what hope is there? What hope is there for those who are slaves to sin? Who will free us? What is the answer? And before he even gives the answer, Paul breaks out into this brief moment of thanksgiving and joy. Who will deliver us? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think Paul in this moment of, uh, he's sitting there writing this and he's, he's remembering his estate apart from Christ. He's crying out in his soul, who will deliver me? And he remembers his own deliverance. And he says, thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows his former estate and he knows what he has been delivered from. But he finishes here, even at the end in 25, I I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. He's saying again and again there's this contrast in me. What hope is there for me who is unable to do God's will, for me who is frustrated by my own failures? And Paul, in this wonderful and beautiful way, reveals to us, you, this is your former estate apart from Christ. This is who you are a slave to. But in 8.1, and we're going to look at this more next time I'm with you, he says, there is therefore, now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, there is no more judgment upon you. There is no more wrath for you. For those who are in Christ, you have been freed from the law. You have been freed from death and it has brought to you life. And so now we draw our Easter conclusions here, don't we? This is the message of the cross. And I could stand before you today and I could tell you about the horrible reality of the cross. And it was simply horrific. We could look at nothing else but the physical terribleness of the cross. And it was terrible. It was physically terrible, but it was also spiritually terrible. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who had experienced from the foundation of the world before all time, perfect communion with God the Father. And God the Father, in that moment on the cross, turns his back on his son and pours his wrath upon him. It was simply terrible. And I could tell you about all of that. But let me tell you also about the hope of Jesus. Let me tell you about the empty tomb. Let me tell you about a savior who has conquered the grave. I've 
talked a lot about law. I've talked a lot about sin. It's not a good Easter sermon in, in some ways. But we are free. This morning when I got up here to the church, I checked Facebook. <laughs> and I was on Facebook and Virginia Aiken had put up a blog. And I went, this, this had a great impact on me on this morning. And I just want to read this to you. This is the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, the story begins as the women are going to the grave or to the tomb. The sun was not up yet. The work day would not be easy or pleasant. It would have been hard. It would have been ugly. It would have been gut-wrenching. It was dirty work, but it had to be done, and the women were the ones who saw the necessity of the task. So they gathered their supplies and set off to the garden, the garden of the tombs. The tomb that they were going to was new. There was a very large stone that had been put at the doorway of the tomb. And they had no idea how in the world they were going to get that moved. But the work had to be done. Their body of their beloved had to be tended to. And they were the ones who knew what to do. So they set off. It was quiet in the garden. It was, peaceful. It was a peaceful moment just before sunrise. For some reason, everything just seemed to be almost holding its breath. It was if, as if creation knew something was about to happen. Yet I wonder if the women sensed that through the bitterness of their tears. They found their way to the tomb they were looking for, and they paid careful attention when the body was put there on Friday. As they approached the garden, there was another earthquake like the one on Friday. The soldiers who had been ordered to guard the tomb were gone. The heavy stone that had been a worry for the women was set aside, and the tomb... The tomb itself was empty. Death was ended. The waiting was over. Creation had held its breath, and now it let it out in a shout of joy. Evil had lost, and Jesus had won. Jesus was not dead. He was not dead. Jesus was still alive. Suddenly it all made sense. The light exploded into day. Death is ended. The promise of Christmas, God with us, was fulfilled, and everything was gloriously turned upside down. Death is ended. Jesus is king. This is what Christ did for you. The law brought to us sin. The law brought to us death. The law brought to us hopelessness. It accuses us. You cannot live up to the standard which I have set for you. You have turned from me. You have turned to your sin. But I don't want from you mere actions. Mere actions are not what I want. What I want to do is to save you. I want you to do nothing. Nothing whatsoever. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give to you my son. And I'm going to send him to this earth. And not only this, but he's going to come willingly. And I am going to put him through the worst thing imaginable. The worst thing that you can think of. 
because I love you. Out of my deep love for you, I sent my son for you. I have broken the power of sin. I have broken its hold over you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him, that is Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that he, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is a complete reversal. You who are lawless, sinful people have been made the righteousness of God by the one who did not know sin being made sin for you. Think about that phrase. He has been made sin for you. Now I'm going to pause for a moment and I want you to think about your sin. What are the things you have done What are the ways you have transgressed the law of God? Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, took all of that. Every last bit of it. So that you might become the righteousness of God. I love Easter. I'm going to love leaving this place and going with friends and family to eat ham because I love ham. And I'm going to have fun watching my kids hunt eggs because I love my kids. I know you do too. I know you love your family, but in all of this today, don't lose the wonderful, staggering reality of what we're celebrating. Jesus become man made sin for the sinless people that he loved or for the sinful people that he loved this is what we are about to come celebrate here at this table Jesus' body broken Jesus' blood poured out for you because he loved you this is an expression of his love so let us come now and prepare ourselves As we come to this table, let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your son. We're so thankful for his sacrifice. We're so thankful for the empty tomb. Lord, I pray for any in here who do not really know you. Would you let what has been said today not leave them? Would it eat at them? Would you bring them into faith and repentance? And for Lord... Lord, for those of us who do know you, would you bring us to our knees in thankfulness for what Christ has done through his son. It's in his name we pray.